0: Good morning. Really is strange, isn't it? To kind of reemerge after hibernation. And so we'll be introducing things a little bit at a time. Worship, de-distancing seats. And um, as um, we are able to, we'll increase um, opportunities to gather. Not fast. It's, It's a lot to get used to, isn't it? You know, just going from a... I wonder if we should, to I guess it's okay, and that's kind of where we are. I imagine it'll take all of us a while to emerge, so if you're in that middle place where you're still wondering, I I get that. It's been a long time, over a year, long time um one thing we'll be doing come up in the beginning of june is we'll be doing a baptism we've talked about baptism being one of those things that jesus tells us to do as an expression of our faith in him one of the few things that you can do and cross it off a list you know love one another you can really never cross that off the list but baptism is when you come to a place of personal faith in Christ, baptism is the way you say it publicly. And we'll be doing that on um, the first Sunday in June. What we'll do, we'll probably just celebrate the two ordinances, the two things Jesus gave us to celebrate who we are as his people, a communion and the Lord's Supper. And we'll, I mean, I'm sorry, Lord's Supper, communion and baptism. So, what we'll do that day, we'll do communion that day, and then we'll also have, we got like eight or ten people that are going to come up, and they're going to express very briefly why they want to be baptized. And closing the service, we'll kind of make our way over to the corner of the pond. I'm so bad with directions. North, south, northwest. Is that it? Yeah, good. If you're from New England, you don't know west, north, south. You say you go there, you take a left and you take a right. That's the way it is when you're from out east. Out here, it seems like everybody you take south. And anyway, so we'll go to that corner, and I forget what it is already. And then we'll um, and then we'll (laughs) we'll have people. Then uh, we'll make their way out and we will, by immersion, uh, people will be able to make that statement. We'll be able to be there and celebrate them. And then we'll just have white cookies, some cupcakes, maybe coffee to follow. Um, This morning, we're continuing our series on um, uh, Lost in Translation, words that have kind of changed their sense of meaning over time. Today, we're gonna think about coveting. Um, Growing up, I don't remember ever confessing the sin of coveting. I went to confession, and when I went to confession, I don't think it's ever a sin that I talked about. Uh, It wasn't a sin that I was really taught to worry about. And when you think about what coveting is, again, in terms of a definition, to covet is to basically To delight in something Um, and it is positive or negative depending on what we delight in we tend to think of coveting as always a negative term and it isn't in fact when Jesus said I have longed to celebrate the Passover with his disciples at the Last Supper the word he used to describe the longing is the word that is translated in other places, coveting. So to covet is to delight in something. But Jesus says, I covet, I long to, I delight to celebrate the Passover with you. And so coveting is not strictly a negative word. It's just to delight or to, to want something. Delighting in something belonging to another person violates the 10th commandment. So look what it says. It's um, when on Mount Sinai, a terrifying kind of spectacle. Here's what Moses revealed, speaking on behalf of God to the people. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When we take delight in what belongs to our neighbor, we cross the line established by the 10th commandment. We don't have to steal something to cross the line. All we need to do is really want something that someone else has, and we have violated the Tenth commandment and the context in which God made that known was really frightening it says when the people right after he expressed the tenth commandment you shall not covet when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke they trembled with fear they stayed at a distance and said to Moses speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. That's the context in which they were introduced to the 10th, to the 10 commandments and the 10th commandment, the commandment against coveting um, coveting counted then not just actions. You don't have to just control actions to keep the 10 commandments. You need to control thoughts, and attitudes and feelings things that aren't necessarily observable a lot of the ten commandments to be kind of accused somebody else would have to see you doing something but that's the different thing with coveting it's not something that necessarily is visual to other people because it's internal I can think things, and you don't know what I'm thinking. God knows what we're thinking, and that's what makes the 10th Commandment so difficult. As time passed, as you can imagine, coveting was dismissed. It was not eliminated, but kind of pushed aside. Um, it's understandable why people stopped counting to 10, Would you agree with me? It is difficult enough to control our actions, controlling our thoughts and feelings? Not really possible, is it? Don't think about a pink elephant. Its Thoughts are really di- things that are not just difficult to control, but almost impossible. And so what ended up happening that naturally it just kind of was pushed to the side because it was too difficult to do anyways. It was Jesus who made coveting count again. It hadn't counted for quite a while. And it was Jesus who dusted it off, took it down and put it back on the shelf. When did he do that? Well, look what he said. You have heard that it was said To the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. What he did, he applied coveting to murder. And it's not just the act of murder, it's the desire that precedes the act, it's the anger that we feel that might not be seen by others but god sees it and in jesus indicated that that violates the tenth commandment he went on and he applied it to adultery said you heard it was said do not commit adultery but i tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart see what jesus is doing the tenth commandment had been kind of set aside and dismissed and what jesus does he takes the tenth piece and puts it in the puzzle and that makes the ten commandments look very different it's not the actions alone but the thoughts that precede the actions that are violations of the ten commandments coveting then is the gateway sin when dealing with sin the battle is won or lost at the level of desire and thoughts. This is how it is with murder, murder, and this is how it is with adultery. So, in dealing with sin, then, we must deal with coveting. Um, We don't focus too much attention on this sin, but Paul did, and he found coveting to be uncontrollable. He says, I would not have known what sin was except through the law for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said do not covet but sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of covetous desire for apart from law sin is dead uh, the sin that tripped Paul up, the sin that that he couldn't manage, um, wasn't the sin of adultery, I don't think, not the act, not the sin of murder. The sin that tripped Paul up was the sin of coveting. The problem with him, the problem with Paul, he took it really seriously. That was his deal. He understood what controlling coveting meant and what he understood then is that that's something that he could not manage he took it seriously and what he found is that the more he tried to control it the more uncontrollable it became That's what he found out the more he tried to control coveting to not think about what he shouldn't think about the more he tried to control it the more uncontrollable it became. This is the challenge facing those who use a get tough with sin approach to managing sin. Because you have to get tough with coveting in order to get tough with sin. And if you try to get tough with coveting in order to control it, that's like putting water on a grease fire. A get-tough approach to controlling coveting does not work. Paul tried and found that it not only doesn't control the coveting, the more you try to control coveting in order not to be judged, the more uncontrollable your coveting becomes. That's what Paul discovers. The more you try to stamp out coveting, the worse it becomes. Using self-will to control coveting doesn't work. I'm not saying it doesn't work if you're weak. I'm not saying it doesn't work if you're lazy. I'm saying it doesn't work. Coveting counts, but it is not controllable by self-will. And we say, why could God put something in place that's impossible to do? That's a good question, isn't it? But it's important to understand it's part of the Ten Commandments. And if you're going to keep the commandments, if we, if we are going to keep the commandments, we need to control coveting. And what, here's what Paul found out, and he really tried to do it. And here's what he discovered. When I want to do good, not to covet, evil is right there with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. Inside Paul, he says, I don't want to covet. I don't want to covet. I don't want to covet. We don't want to covet. And that's what Paul is expressing. He said, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. What Paul is describing is that there is within him a desire to do what God wants. So in his heart, God, I really don't want to covet. I don't want to covet. I want to be satisfied with what I have. I don't want to look at my neighbor's property and want that. I don't want to look see my neighbor's family and want that. And we live in a very difficult time where coveting is almost more controllable because all over social media are expressions of what other people have. And and you just can't even control it. you scroll in your phone, you're seeing all these pictures of people doing all these wonderful things. And I yeah, and again so it's you know social media, I'm not blowing up social media, but it is coveting central, isn't it? Would you agree? I mean, how can you see the images and and what Paul is saying? That he wanted to honor God by not coveting, but in his noticing, he could not not notice things that he wanted. And that's what Paul ends up coming to grips with. Paul's sin is not adultery, at least not the act. It's not murder. It's not lying. You know the sin that tripped Paul up? Coveting—that's the sin that imprisoned him. Does, does coveting imprison you? How many? Coveting imprisons me. How many? I tell you what—if if if, uh, if I don't see your hand up, I'm concerned. And again, not if you—I'm not concerned that you didn't put it up then because you're saying he's not going to see me anyway, so I'm not going to put my hand up just because he asked me to. You covet the fact that I, I, I never—I'm not going even get—I won't even get into that. No we all deal with it we all deal with it we all deal with it and in that sense all of us are sinners what do we do with this um paul tried to impose his will on himself and he lost the battle with coveting. I'm going to say this a couple of times, I'm going to write it, up, I'll write it up and we're going to talk about coveting next week. The part of Paul that wanted to honor God by not coveting, there was a part of Paul that wanted to honor God by not coveting. That part was overwhelmed by the part of Paul that couldn't ignore what other people had and did. You understand? There was a part of him that wanted to honor God by not coveting, but there was another part of him that could not notice What other people have, and he was imprisoned by those disparate desires. I want to honor God, but I can't not have, want what other people have. I cannot not covet. That's the sin that imprisoned Paul. Are you imprisoned by that sin? Yeah, you are. So am I. What do we do with this? Um, Let's look, though, at... um, What he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus set me free from the law of sin and death. What he ends up doing, coming to the grips with, what Paul says is there was a solution, but the solution that, that God put into effect, he didn't remove Paul struggled with coveting because you can't, you cannot be in a body and not want what you see. It's going to be an ongoing issue. When Paul says, who's going to rescue me? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. So then I still in my mind want not to covet, but I still, In my body, am going to notice things and covet them. What kind of solution is that? He he cries out to God, says, God deliver me, I cannot not covet. And then the solution that God brings is, okay, it pulled it seems to put him in the same place. He wants to honor God, but he can't. What kind of solution is that? And here's the here's the solution. It's because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God understands what it's like to want to honor him. And yet, because Jesus was embodied now, did Jesus covet? He trusted the father, you know, what Jesus had, you know, what Jesus had that you and I don't. It was the night before it was in the garden and he's aware that he's going to die the following day. He knew it. And he was also aware that he didn't want to. What would you have done? Geez, I'm the son of God and I need to die tomorrow and there's a part of me I don't want to. Do you know what Jesus did? It's astonishing to me. He expressed his heart to his father. He told him about what he wanted. He didn't try to control it. He didn't say, Oh, I can't want not to die. What he said, Father, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. you know why Paul was able to do that? I mean, Jesus was able to do that. He understood that his father understood. He understood that his father was not reflected by Mount Sinai, that there was a command there. But what he understood is he could express his wants to the Father. You know what how you deal with coveting? By not trying to control it. But by communicating your heart to him. You know what God wants for you and me? He really wants us, once you listen to me, He really wants us to learn to speak freely with Him. He really does. You know what, God? I really do want to honor you. But on the other hand, I also want things that I don't have. And when we own those things, that's kind of the beginning. Um, Let's make some observations and, and we'll apply this. Because Paul recognized coveting in himself, he couldn't push it down or compare himself favorably to others. Would you agree? Um, We we tend to draw a distinction between ourselves and others based on what they do and what we don't do. You know, they commit adultery, we don't, right? They use the Lord's name in vain and we don't. Um, But coveting levels the playing field. Would you agree? There's no one that can say we don't covet. They covet and we covet. So um, we can't, use our behavior to make us better than them because they covet and so do we so it kind of levels the playing field would you agree and it also and this is significant when paul grasped the problem of coveting he was able to grasp the promise of no condemnation that's interesting to me paul comes to this sin that he couldn't control and he touches it because he can't push it away. He can't dismiss it. It's in his hand. And then he has this thing in his hand. I'm coveting. I can't go to Thessalonica and want to go there because usually when I go to a city, I end up leaving on a stretcher. And I don't want to go to Thessalonica, but I want to be faithful to be who God wants me to be, but I don't want to suffer again. I don't want to get beaten. I don't want to get hit with rods again. And he was, and so he ended up holding this tension until he realized he was coveting. And then he turned to God and says, God, I tell you what, I, I want to honor you, but I, I can't control these thoughts and desires. I don't want to suffer anymore. That's among other things. And so he, he says that and he looks up at God and, and And what he heard absolutely exploded his heart. I'm not condemning you, Paul. I'm not condemning you. 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 I know you covered it, and I'm not condemning you. And I'm not condemning you. And I'm not condemning you or you or you or you or you or you. I'm not condemning you. I'm not condemning you. And then you're not condemning me. And then he understood. You know what he understood? Grace. He would not have understood grace if he didn't understand coveting. we no better than them. But you know what the deal is? If you understand and have covenant clarity and understand that God's making a new covenant in which he is helios to your unrighteousnesses and remembers your sin no more, you know what you can do? You don't have to push coveting down. You don't have to anymore. If you understand the new covenant, you don't have to fix it. You can touch it, and you can be honest about it. You know what happens when you're honest about your covenant with God? You know what happens when you don't try to control it, but you express it? It becomes less powerful because it becomes more powerful when you're trying to keep it down and control it when you are expressing it to him. It relaxes a little bit. Now, you still find yourself wanting what you don't have, but it's not as turbulent. I think that's what that's what Paul discovered. Um, confess coveting. What would that look like? Um, we talk about this all the time. Um, again, I... But when you think about it, as with any sin, you know what, God, I, I want something I don't have. I want what my neighbor has. I want a different life. I want a different whatever. And, um, and I know this is not something you want, but I, what I also know is that you're still in me. You're still with me. And good's still ahead of me, guaranteed, because my sin cannot disconnect me from you. And you know what you might ask for then? I ask for this. God, will you give me strength? Give me strength to be able to tolerate not having what I want. God, would you give me wisdom so I could remain in places where I don't have what I want without without biting my head off or biting somebody else's head off? Would you give me Peace, strength and wisdom and peace. You admit your issues with him, and then you ask him for strength and wisdom and peace. And you know what happens as you do that? What happens as you do that? What the Father says? Finally. That's what I wanted from you. I wanted you to talk to me. I don't want you to fix it. I want you to touch the things that are difficult, and I want you to talk with me about them because what I want, God would say, is a relationship with you. That's what he wants. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, we, yeah, we talked about coveting, it's the uncontrollable sin. It's not able, it's, it's just not difficult to control, it's impossible to control. And when we face that and look at it, it feels uncomfortable, but then it leads to something where, well, okay, there's a sin that none of us can sidestep. We're sinners. And then we look toward the New Covenant, it says you're helios to our unrighteousnesses, graceful, benevolent, favorable, and you and you remember our sins no more. So sins don't create a barrier between you and us. We can... Admit them to you and ask for strength. And as we do so, we end up developing a relationship with you. Um, thanks for, I guess, strangely, thank you for coveting. Because if you haven't clarified that, we really wouldn't be able to grasp no condemnation. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll continue to talk about coveting next week. Good to see you.